Good morning. Uh, I'm doing a piece this morning entitled Two Gifts of Conscience for Those Who Strive. Two Gifts of Conscience for Those Who Strive. Uh, as you know, if you've ever listened to me, I'm often uh, drawing from a friend and a teacher, uh, and I've often said that uh, the insights of this person eventually strike me or it might strike you as obvious, but uh, upon hearing them, they're revelatory or they're inspirational. They're, uh, as I've said, they're from, they're from an angle or from a slant that catches me off guard. And once again, that has happened to me today. And I just want to share just two very simple points. So the fellow is speaking to a group of people who are uh, conscientious people. They're trying to do good in the world. They have big dreams and big aspirations, but he's not speaking to a corporation of profit seekers or let's meet our goals this this quarter. Or It's not that type of inspirational speech. He's speaking to people who basically define themselves in a life of striving to do significant good in the world. And so that's the context of uh, a lot of what, just about everything uh, that, I, that I read and often provide in these um, podcasts. So, so here's, here's how he begins um, what I read this morning, and he's, and he's speaking to this, uh, actually a fairly small group of people, he's speaking to them and saying, you have to define what you have. What is the best you got? You have to know what that is. Otherwise, you cannot be a warrior, even if you wish you were. Everybody wants to be a superman, a superhero. So he's telling these people who have all kinds of big dreams and big purposes and all the great they're going to do in the world. And he's trying to be a friend and a guide or offer some insights into uh, how that goes and, and, uh, and introduces this uh, obvious but to me insightful point before you even start, or regardless of whether or not you understand yourself as somebody who's striving to be good, either on a personal level, a self-accomplishment, self-improvement, or trying to do some major good in the world, the first thing is to uh, take inventory, know what you have. If you were gonna open a store, you'd find out, you'd take inventory, you'd see what you have to sell, you'd see what your rent is that month, and so on and so forth. So he's kind of introducing, doing the same thing about yourself, if you're going to define yourself as a person doing good either in your own self-realization, your self-development, your self-improvement, or if you're designing yourself or imagining yourself to be a person who does great good in the world, addresses the problem of racism, opens a soup kitchen, uh, 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 establishes a, a book uh, truck, you know, like a little library that drives, whatever it is, he says, you have to define what you have, what's the best you got. You have to know what that is. Otherwise, you can't be a warrior, even if you wish you were. So he's trying to drag people away from this kind of dreamy state of do-goodness and uh, you know, say everybody wants to be a hero. Maybe not everybody's oriented toward doing good, but he's telling this particular group, everyone wants to be Superman. He says, but you, and then back to reading, you go, but you can't be one if you don't even know who you are and what your limitations are. It's, it's, a, it's a constant re reiterative, uh, uh, almost obsession of, uh, 
of this friend of mine and teacher of mine. Know what your limitations are. Know how much you can take, what you're capable of, and on and on. You have to know reality, your reality, your no-nonsense reality. So that's the type of self-knowledge that uh, saints and sages and, and wise men and women of history, uh, it's, it's basically know thyself, but it, that usually is treated somewhat in a cliche fashion, or what does that actually mean? But he, he I believe he makes it uh, extremely helpful and clear. Know what your limitations are. If then, you, then you move off of the Disney poster, know thyself, or the biblical phrase and, uh, that you hear and, tr and say is true and have no idea, never really gave it any thought. But here he's saying, know what your limitations are. How much can you take what you're capable of? And on and on. You have to know reality, your no-nonsense reality. It's extremely important to uh, tell people who are involved in any sort of uh, pursuit of goodness, pursuit of any aspiration, pursuit of self-improvement or self-development, one has to have a very clear grasp of what one's limitations are. One doesn't have to stay bound in them. One can do the regimen, do the training, do the exercises, do the prayers, the scripture study, the push-ups, the pull-ups, the uh, running, you know, running with a uh, boulder strapped to your uh, chest or whatever, whatever it is, you, you can increase constantly break your limitations, break your limitations. But to start at all, one has to have a good, strong uh, account of self-knowledge. And, um, and I think it's, it's a very important emphasis and always worth, always worth pondering as we kind of float off in our flights of of being great do-gooders or, or whatever it is, you know, a life coach or, uh, or teach people how to get rich, whatever it is. But uh, this, this, uh, this starting inventory is a, is a fantastic message in my, re in my reckoning. And then he, he flips suddenly, suddenly, and this is one of the reasons why I like this fellow and I read this fellow a lot. He goes, what is your conscience? And suddenly he said, whoa, you know, why is, this, why is this coming in here? Conscience is usually, with most people, uh, 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 associated with kind of mor morals and, and uh, get making you feel guilty or stopping you from doing bad deeds. Or I saw a wallet full of cash sitting there, but I, I looked it up and found the owner and called them up because my conscience tells me, don't do that, don't steal, don't pull out the cash and toss the cost toss the wallet in a dumpster. The, the, con one, the conscience is ordinarily uh, considered only when people are in the inquiry into uh, moral matters, moral and, and even religious matters. So, so here he is uh, doing a great job of like might be a taekwondo teacher or some kind of uh, martial, you know, it's like know yourself, know your limits, know what you can take. You're never going to be a warrior. And then suddenly jumps across the conscience. He goes, uh, so, but why? And here's what drew me to this passage, why I want to talk about it uh, for this podcast. What is your conscience? What does your conscience tell you? Does your conscience tell you to be arrogant? Does your conscience tell you to be rich and famous and live for yourself? We all know not, absolutely not, never, simply never. The worst person on earth, the worst person on earth, 
the, the greediest, most abusive, most exploitive, most unself-disciplined uh, demon, their conscience does not tell them, uh, does not tell them, be arrogant, be rich, be famous. Something tells them that, but certainly not their conscience. No, he says, the conscience tells you the basic stuff, the basic stuff, the basic stuff that affords you the chance to be objective. And, and that's my favorite part. That's what made me talk about this. Because one typically thinks about the conscience being, you know, warning you on moral issues and don't do this and don't touch her and don't steal this and, and on and on. And, and he jumps across into it in the context of guiding us for kind of warrior life or doing good life or being a saint life. And then, and then points out, discusses the conscience utterly independently of this whole habit of thinking of it tied to moral injunctions and says, the conscience teaches you the basic stuff and affords you the chance to be objective. How cool is that? How, because like even, uh, here's a little tangent on the side. We live in a world in which nothing's objective. Everybody's full of agendas. Every other word you hear is manipulated to kind of make you believe that or make you hate them or make you love them or make you vote this way or make you buy that. And he's talked, and so it's so hard to find a voice that's objective but he's recommending that the conscience provides that. It affords you the chance to be objective. And what's he talking about, of course, to be objective about yourself. He goes, no, the conscience tells you the basic stuff, basic stuff that affords you the chance to be objective. That's about it. The conscience reminds you of what your least is, not your greatest. That's where you start. Because when does the conscience kick in? When you're just about to drop below your least when you're just about to pull the cash out of the wallet and toss the wallet, or when you're just about to be off on a little flirtation outside of your own, uh, own uh, marital or conjugal commitments. It's, your conscience reminds you what your least is, and that's where you start. And it's such a, it's such a, it's such a, a, a fine, a fine uh, introduction to conscience, not as something that I wish it would go away so I could have a little fun, or why, why is this moralistic voice always telling me what to do, or why do I feel guilty after I transgress? Rather, it is, it's giving me the gift of being objective, because that, he said earlier, that's what I need to be, is objective. I need to know what I'm made of. I need to know what my limits are, and my limitations. I need to know what I can take. I need to know how much I can stand. I need to start from a real place. And he said, your conscience is, allows you to, to, have an, to be objective and to have a, re, a real access to the type of inventory taking that's going to be necessary for anybody who has any interest in being any good, either in themselves or for their uh, people with their relations and in the good that they hope to do in the world. He goes, that's where you start. Your conscience, your conscience does, does not remind you of your greatest. It reminds you of your least, and that's where you start. Okay, so, so here we have something that has traditionally been tied to religious burdens, and everybody's trying to kill their conscience. They try to kill it either through the use of drugs and alcohol. They try to use it through the addictions 
to power and to acquisition or whatever the addictions are, it's basically an effort to, to try to quell or stop the conscience. But here, this, this friend of mine is saying that this is, this is precisely what allows you to be able to take an objective and accurate reality to get to who I am, who we are, you are, to get to our basics, the, what he calls the no-nonsense stuff. And then jumps into a, a second point, uh, which I want to look at because, again, it's another, another fantastic uh, element that I never thought of. And uh, here it is. Anyway, he goes, finally, the conscience tells you what your inheritance is. Inheritance. What do you think is the greatest inheritance? Do you think inheritance is money or power? I don't think so. I see that stuff come and go. I really don't care. So people, the word uh, inheritance, of course, is traditionally uh, tied to what we inherit, uh, you know, like in the will and, you know, to, uh, to Sammy, I give my estate, you know, in Westchester or whatever. But he says, no, the inheritance your conscience reveals is eternity. It, it teaches and reminds us that things go on forever. So here, so here he is uh, trying to help us do the basic self-examination, which is going to make it possible for me to start in a legitimate and an effective way to uh, do some good, either make myself good or do some other people some good. And, in, and I need to get to, I need to know my limitations. I need to know the basic stuff. I need to have a starting point. I need to have access to an honest, an honest assessment of where I am. My conscience is telling me what my least is. And that's, and that's where I start on that front. And then the other thing is, the other thing is, how do I not get disappointed in what I pursue? How do I not try and fail and try and fail and try and fail and finally say, I'll never do this? that the conscience, he says, reveals eternity. It's not like other secular or, or, or earthly inheritance. Give me a lot of money and a lot of wealth and a lot uh, inherit power and position. I'm happy to I'm, inherit me that. I'm happy. I love it. I, the more, the better. I have no problem with that. But the, but the conscience, what it bequeaths, what, what, what it gives as your inheritance is the knowledge of eternity. Where else would that come from? Where else could that possibly come from in any human being? That, that things go on long enough for me to succeed. Who advised me of that? What experience, what experience do I have at all that advised me of eternity? No experiences like that. All of life is, is temporal. It's a series of, of things that end. The experience of life in the physical world is that things end, come to an end. It's temporal. It's clicking away. The clock is just ticking. But, but within my, uh, my spirit or my spiritual being or the self that drives towards the good I hope to be and good I hope to do, that, that is attached to confidence that things last long enough that I will win in the end, that we will win in the end, that we will become who we want to be, that we will master ourselves, that we will, that we will break through all of our limitations, and that we will succeed. That, that, he says, also comes from conscience. So there's two gifts. Conscience helps us see our least, 
helps, helps us be objective and gives us the a, an account of the of the true nature of reality, not the experienced nature of reality. That reality is long enough for me to keep at it, to not get disappointed, not get knocked down, not quit. That's the second gift of conscience. So that's what I'm calling the two gifts of conscience for people who strive. And uh, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, be back with you sometime soon. Hello. I'm Frank Kaufman. I'm the head of the Professor's World Peace Academy, and I'm happy to welcome you to the interview series of scholars worldwide uh, to shed light on the various topics of interest, uh, which we've been doing now for a great many uh, interviews of, uh, of uh, good content. And today we are very fortunate to have as our guest, Mr. Safi Kaskas. Safi Kaskas is an administrator in the managerial in in managerial sciences with over 40 years of broad-based experience in strategic planning, leadership, and business ethics with an emphasis on strategic management in the corporate and academic worlds. Mr. Kaskas is a co-founder of East West University in Chicago, Illinois. He was elected as president of its board of directors from 1979 to 2005. He continues to serve on its board as an ex officio. He is founder and president of Strategic Edge Management Consultants. Mr. Kafkas helped many mid-level and large corporations successfully develop their business portfolios. His consultant form, firm, focused on strategic development within the healthcare industry and founded the American Strategic Healthcare Management Company, ASHM, which is active in the field of healthcare in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. In addition to his focus on strategic management science, Mr. Koskas has studied Abrahamic religions and has lectured throughout the United States and the Middle East on subjects related to Islam, interfaith, and reconciliation between evangelicals and American Muslims. He is senior researcher in Islam and multi-faith reconciliation with George Mason University in Washington, D.C., Center for World Religions, Diplomacy, and Conflict Resolution. Mr. Koskas translated and published the Quran into simple, easy-to-understand English in January of 2015 and published the, the Quran with references to the Bible in January 2016 with his colleague and partner, Dr. David Hungerford. This book, the latter one with references to the Bible, has over 3,000 references to the Old and New Testaments integrated into a cross-referenced system uh, tied to the Quran. The Italian translation to this book, Quran with References to the Bible, was completed in 2016. It was presented to His Holiness Pope Francis I that same month. There's interesting stories about that moment when His Holiness received that Quran. Mr. Kaskas has just completed compiling his first Hadith book collection of 
Prophet Muhammad's sayings on the kindest of manners. This book will be published this year. Working on the tra uh, he is also working on the translation of Jules Laberne. This is a, this uh, uh, figure is from lived from 1806 to 1876. The work that's being translated is Le Quran Analysé, translated into Arabic by Muhammad Fuad, Abd al-Baki. This gentleman's lifespan is from 1882 to 1968. Mr. Kaskas is a member of the board of the Vatican Foundation International Center family of Nazareth. So we are very fortunate to have Mr. Kaskas with us, and uh, please join me to welcome him to this program and this interview series. Good morning and welcome to uh, the interview series of the 12 Gates Foundation. I'm Frank Kaufman. I'm the head of the 12 Gates Foundation and I'm very happy today to welcome for our interview uh, Mr. Safi Kaskas. Uh, Dr. Kaskas is an administrator in the managerial sciences with over 40 years of broad-based experience in strategic planning, leadership, and business ethics with an emphasis on strategic management in the corporate and academic worlds. Mr. Sa Mr. Kaskas is co-founder of East-West University in Chicago, Illinois, and was elected president of its board of directors from 1979 until 2005. He continues to serve on its board as an ex officio. Mr. Kaskas is founder and president of Strategic Edge Management Consultants. He helps many mid-level and large corporations successfully develop their business portfolios. His consultant firm focuses on strategic development within the healthcare industry and founded the American Strategic Healthcare Management Company, ASHM, which is active in the healthcare field in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. In addition to his focus on strategic management science, Mr. Kaskas has studied Abrahamic religions and lectured throughout the United States and the Middle East on subjects related to Islam, interfaith and reconciliation between evangelicals and American Muslims. He is senior researcher in Islam and multi-faith reconciliation with George Mason University in Washington, D.C. The, the George Mason University Center for World Religions, Diplomacy, and Conflict Resolution. Mr. Kaskas translated and published the Quran into simple, easy to understand English in January of 2015. And then, together with his partner and uh, co-labor co on this project, Dr. David Hungerford published the Quran with references to the Bible in January 2016. This latter book has over 3,000 cross-references to Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament uh, cross-referenced with the Quran. The Italian translation of this book the Quran with references to the Bible, was completed in April 2016 and was presented to His Holiness Pope Francis I in a direct and personal audience. The stories there are quite interesting. Mr. Koskas has just completed compiling his first 
hadith book collection of Prophet Muhammad's sayings on, quote, the kindest of manners, unquote. So the Prophet Muhammad's sayings on the kindest of manners. The book, this book will be published this year. Finally, Mr. Koskos is a member of the board of the Vatican Foundation International Center Family of Nazareth. So it's a great uh, blessing and fortune for us to have Mr. Koskos with us this morning. Please welcome to the program, Mr. Safi Koskos. <laughs> 